The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. The enemy we have to face down is inflation. You can't overstate how much a short-term mindset dominates Westminster. The cost of living crisis is not going away. It's very real for people. We've got to focus very much on the things that will really bring back growth. The UK has certainly been a very strong supporter of Ukraine from the outset. We have to stay at the course to make sure inflation falls all the way back to the 2% target. You're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics. I'm Ewan Potts. I'm Lizzie Burden. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Welcome to the programme. It's the last day of May uh, and good news on the UK trade relations front as it is the day that the new trade deals Australia and New Zealand come into force. And to celebrate this, uh, the UK government has sent a package of UK goods to celebrate this, including copies of the Beano and also some gin, which oh. I think is rather nice and perhaps might be medicinal <laughs> in the studio uh, after we get through the rest of our uh, rather weighty topics for the day. I was trying to think if there are synergies between the Beano and bottles of gin. But, but, well, I, well, I think they go very well together, to be honest, but uh, probably not for the targeted audience. No, <laughs> no, indeed. Well, in other trade news, you know that Joe Biden and Rishi Sunak are meeting next week and trade isn't even going to be on the agenda at the national level. It's only going to be at the state level. Are, no, you, are that, you equating? these trade deals to something that's not a trade deal that's happening as well, perhaps suggesting that none of these things will make any much of a difference. No, I didn't say that. You did, Stephen. Okay, well, I, there I, you go. With my my, my an instant analysis. <laughs> I, I was trying to think of what we buy from Australia and New Zealand. Obviously, there's New Zealand lamb, but the, the, the list is quite short, I think, isn't Oak it? Oak boots! Oak right, boots. Okay. Yeah. Are they actually made there, though, or is it just sort of like an a Aussie brand? Oh, you're ruining the dream for me now. <laughs> Right. I mean, it's not the only story that we're watching today as well, particularly if you're a renter, a very difficult time to be looking for somewhere to live in London. Yeah, nice story this on the Bloomberg Terminal. Last week, we had those record net migration uh, figures, topping 600,000 for the first time. Now, Capital Economics reckon that that addition to the population is driving up rental costs by as much as 7%. They looked at the historical relationship between rents and the share of empty homes, and they saw a particular effect on London, of course, where many migrants uh, land up at least initially. Initially, the latest UK-wide data suggests that rents are rising at their fastest pace in data going back to 2006. Now, to try and alleviate the rental issues, of course, Labour is talking about backing the builders, not the blockers, getting more homes into the property market. And the other thing that Labour's promising is potentially to ban former ministers from lobbying for five years, trying to clean up Westminster. This is something that Labour's considering ahead of the release of its election manifesto story in the Financial Times. The context, of course, is former Prime Minister David Cameron lobbying officials on behalf of Greensill in 2020 and the ex-Cabinet Minister Owen Paterson having to quit as a Tory MP over lobbying. So Labour's reportedly looking at creating an integrity and ethics commission that would be able to probe ministers' conduct without the Prime Minister's permission. And of course, recently we've seen Rishi Sunak having to uh, 
get make the decision himself whether he's going to call on his ethics advisor. Mm, we're back to perhaps more bread and butter issues. Uh, the issue of the price of food still very much uh, part of the conversation in the political world too. The government, of course, seeking this deal with supermarkets to voluntarily limit prices of basic food items. Supermarket bosses not terribly pleased uh, about that. This would be an interesting attempt by the government, I think, to try and intervene in this market. You've got a separate investigation underway from the Competition and Markets Authority looking at overall competition in the grocery retail market. They say they haven't yet found evidence of competition problems there, but certainly the government, something the government is focusing on because food price inflation has been so high. Let's bring in Bloomberg's Deirdre Hipwell for more on this story, who leads our team of consumer and healthcare reporters in London. Deirdre, great to have you with us on the programme. What exactly is the government talking about proposing for supermarkets here? Well, they're just saying it's at the drawing board stage, but they're talking about a voluntary price cap where supermarkets would try and charge the lowest price possible for basic essentials. Um, And to be honest, the view of the industry is that it's, it's just a load of it's a load of nonsense. And I can't overstate how angry they actually are about this behind closed doors, because First of all, they thought this was something the government had ruled out. It's not like the grocers and the rolling in profits. In fact, they run on razor-thin margins. So the idea that they're profiteering just doesn't really sit with the reality. And then if you look at the UK, it is a highly competitive food market. I mean, we have at least 10 major grocery retailers, which is very different to other markets. Like if you look at Australia, you know, food is much, much more expensive there. So, you know, the, the grocers argue that this is just meddling, interfering. In fact, we had Stuart Rose, um, you know, the former chairman of MS, saying that it's clumsy. And in fact, they could actually damage uh, uh, food retailers' attempts to bring down inflation. Now, that's not to say food isn't costing more money. It is. But this seems highly convenient by the government because we're already starting to see prices start to fall a bit, admittedly only slightly. But we've seen uh, grocers recently lowering the prices of milk and butter and bread. So it seems convenient for the government to float this idea. And then as prices fall, we'll claim that, you know, it was them that did it as we head into an election year. Uh, Didra, I know you've covered retail for many, many years. Behind the scenes, when you're speaking to retail bosses, do you get the sense that they no longer think the Conservatives are the party of business, given ideas like this? Well, I think, I mean, I think whichever uh, government has been um, in power, you know, there's always been uh, difficulties that the grocers have had to pay because they are the biggest private sector retailer. Everyone has to eat. So if you look at it on that basis, it's a hugely political area. And at the moment, I mean, food price inflation has been in double digits for quite some time. And this is a country that has just got hooked on cheap food. I mean, for many years, we were very, very lucky. So it is difficult um, for grocers because they are right at that pinch point and people are feeling that now every time they go into um, a supermarket. So it's, you know, it's very, very difficult for them. So I don't know if they're particularly focused on whether this is a Tory or Labour government. I think at the moment what they're saying is that they're just trying to do what they do, which is run an efficient business while coping with higher transport, labour costs, energy costs, and try and keep prices as low as possible. And this is the point they're always keen to make, because consumers in this country have a lot of choice as to where they can shop. They've got the big discounters, they've got um, you know Tesco, Sainsbury's, Morrison's, Asda. So if 
supermarkets are not keen on prices. Shoppers will just shop elsewhere. And that, to be honest, is probably a more effective way of keeping prices keen than anything, you know, the Sunak government could try and introduce. Deirdre, is there any chance of this of this flying? Because, the, as you said, the retailers are dead against it uh, and it has to be voluntary, surely. Uh, I think it, the only way it could work would be voluntary. And, I, you know, I think it would just be um, reinforcing what the supermarkets think is their status quo anyway, where they try um, and keep prices low as possible. I mean, I just don't see how it could be any other way than voluntary. And I mean, what the retailers would really love the government for be, to be addressing is rather than trying some kind of clumsy 1970s um, era uh, price charges, would be doing something about the red tape that the industry has just been swimming in since Brexit. And I think that is one area where they would like the government intervention, you know, just everything like things like, you know, the labeling requirements on products, which have just exploded since Brexit. And it wasn't even that long ago that Archie Norman, the current chairman of MS, was writing an open letter pleading to the government to help them remove the pettifogging bureaucracy of the post-Brexit consumer uh, uh, grocery landscape. So I think, you know, there are areas where the government could help. But this, I don't think, is an area they should be sticking their nose in, to be honest. Deirdre, can I congratulate you for getting the word pettifogging onto the show, which I think mm. might be a first, uh, but very strategically, de- strategically deployed. And we thank you uh, for your analysis and giving us a briefing on what exactly those proposals entail and, and how they're going down with retailers. That's Deirdre Hipwell there, who leads our team of consumer and healthcare reporters here in London. Well, for the economic take on this, we're joined now by the Bank of England's most recently departed rate setter, Michael Saunders, who's now a senior economic advisor at Oxford Economics. Michael, thanks for being back on the UK Politics podcast. In a recent note, you poured cold water on the idea of greedflation, that companies, including supermarkets, are price gouging and that, that it's a big driver of inflation. Can you explain your thinking? Yeah, the evidence is that overwhelmingly uh, the strength of UK inflation is driven by cost pressures from energy and commodity prices. Now, if you look in the details of the figures, for sure, you can find individual cases, maybe where companies are wide in profit margins. But in total, as a share of GDP or as a share of turnover, companies' profits have fallen over the last year. So overall, the picture is of margins being squeezed and companies suffering. If um, consumers are hurting, which they are, what's wrong with asking retailers to take a bit of a hit or a bit more of a hit on their margins? Well, retailers have been taking a hit. Um, And so margins have been squeezed in the retail sector just as household incomes have been squeezed. Now, the UK retail sector, the supermarkets, is is a very competitive business. so if you like both sides households and the businesses are feeling the pain of that what would be the consequence if if they did manage to get a a, this voluntary cap approved well so it may just simply mean nothing a voluntary price cap is a discount and supermarkets do that all the time they do special offers any store has special offers at at any one time. So if it just means that supermarkets will do special offers, then it's kind of irrelevant. If it's a serious price cap, like the government is going to set the price of eggs and the cost of eggs goes up, then there'll be a shortage of eggs. 
because people won't sell, won't sell them or they won't sell them to the UK, the eggs will go elsewhere. So it either means nothing or it's probably a serious problem because then we would face shortages of items that we're used to buying. So if not price caps, what should the government be doing about food price inflation? Well, the, the quickest, the most powerful thing which they could do, of course, would be to rejoin the EU. Um, not because Brexit has played a big role in the food price inflation over the last year. I don't think it has. But because when we took the decision to leave the EU in 2016, the pound fell sharply. Reversing that would probably cause the pound to rise and then the price of all imported stuff would fall. And you'd see that pass through to consumer prices. Apart from that, there's not a whole lot the government can do. I mean, uh, The cost pressures are beginning to ease. So we've seen... Uh, global agricultural commodity prices ease a bit. Input price inflation, that is the price of raw materials which food manufacturers buy, has slowed. Output price inflation, that is the price of processed food made by UK manufacturers, has begun to slow a little bit. With the usual lags, a quarter or two, you should see that reflected in lower CPI food price inflation during the rest of this year. I mean, it would hardly be quick to rejoin the EU. Even the most ardent Remainers say that it would take 10 years or maybe even more. Um, apart from rejoining the EU, what else could the government do to help now? I mean, Rishi Sunak wants to halve inflation by year end. Is there anything that he could do to help with that? Very little. Uh, so the government don't have many levers that affect inflation over a short time period and obviously the bank of england which is independent from the government has has responsibility for setting interest rates to get inflation uh, back to the two percent target over time like i view this government target of aiming to halve inflation by the end of the year as a bit like me having a target that is going to be sunny on saturday it may happen it may not happen but it's not really up to me and if inflation does halve by the end of the year, it really won't be the government which has achieved that. It'll just be that that's how global cost pressures have fared. And if they fail to meet it, similarly, I wouldn't pin the blame wholly on the government. I would look to global cost pressures. What about the regulated utilities? Could uh, the government enforce a, a one-year price cap on water bills, for instance? Would that be too drastic? Um, first of all, it's too late. So water charges already got up. They went up in April of this year. And second, those things are set by Ofwat and they do quite a detailed five-year program in which they look for water companies to invest a certain amount and on the back of that, allow them to raise prices in line with the previous year's RPI or CPI inflation rate. So that's not something which you could change quickly, at least unless you want to disrupt the investment plans for the water industry. Just to go back to your comment a moment ago, do you do you not now see inflation halving by the end of the year? I think it's touch and go, to be honest. Um, inflation started the year about 10, so halving means it would get back to 5. I think it will be just below that. Um, but, you know, if we get some funny swings in oil prices or commodity prices globally, then it may be that inflation turns out a little bit above five. Um, either way, it's not something that's really in the government's control. So do you think that the Bank of England's done with hiking then, even after the latest upside inflation surprise? No, I think they'll probably have to raise rates again. Inflation in April 
was higher than they expected, significantly higher than outside forecasters expected. And pay growth in the UK is still running well above a target consistent pace. Services inflation is quite strong. Core goods inflation also has been stronger than expected. I think they're likely to have to raise rates again, probably more than once. You know, I think we well, now we've got bank rate at four and a half percent. I think we should be thinking of five um, over the next couple of meetings as a likely destination. What about then the effect that will have on the economy? The Deputy BOE Governor John Cunliffe says if rates pass 5%, could trigger debt distress among companies and mortgage borrowers. Where is the danger level in your eyes? It's hard to know where precisely the danger level is. And it may be wrong to think about there as being a single danger level. But it's right to say that as interest rates go up, and as the economy cools, which it surely will, then the risk that financial fragilities get exposed among households and businesses becomes greater. Right? And that's the most painful part of the economic cycle. When interest rates are high and the economy is weak, we haven't got to that yet. But I think that's what lies ahead of us. Michael, does the interest rate transmission mechanism still work? Uh, I know mortgages aren't the only way that it gets into the real economy, but so few people are on variable rate mortgages these days that the, that the amount of mortgage pain we've felt so far is quite limited, isn't it? So I think the monetary transmission mechanism and the way in which rising interest rates cool the economy still works, but it may take longer than previously. As you said, many fewer people have variable rate mortgages, so fewer people feel the pain immediately. But those on fixed rate mortgages, if they try and refix now, oh, they really notice the difference. So the pain comes through perhaps more slowly, but when it hits people with higher mortgage payments, is much more concentrated than it used to be. And so speaking of that pain, Jeremy Hunt, the Chancellor, has conceded that a recession might be necessary to control inflation. Are two of the Prime Minister's five goals therefore mutually exclusive, halving inflation and growing the economy? Look, it's going to be tricky to get inflation back to the 2% target without going period in without going through a period in which the economy is weak. Whether that means a recession or growth that is just crawling above zero, but still below potential, and so unemployment rises, not clear. Um, But it's going to be a tough period. And we've seen the jobless rate tick up in the last couple of quarters. I suspect we're going to see further rises in, in unemployment in the next few quarters. And this painful process of getting inflation back to target, it's not finished. It's really only just started. When do you see as being the most painful period for the UK economy? I think the next few quarters, uh, because this is going to be a period in which inflation will still be quite high. And so real wages will be falling. The jobless rate is likely to be going up and we'll be feeling more of the effects of the big increases in interest rates since the middle of last year. It normally takes about a year for the peak effect from changes in interest rates. The lags may even be slightly longer now because of the rise in fixed rate mortgages, which we discussed. Um, So we haven't yet felt much of the effect of the big rises in rates. That pain will come through and it'll come through in the next few quarters. 
Michael Saunders, former Bank of England rights setter, now senior economic advisor at Oxford Economics. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's turn to how food prices are affecting people on lower incomes. The Resolution Foundation is an independent think tank which is focused on improving living standards for people at the lower end of society. Their economist, Christian Sharp, joins us now. Christian, thanks uh, for joining us on the show today. Now, food price inflation is at 15% according to the latest BRC data. Do you think this pain is going to carry on for consumers? I think what we can definitely see is that um, this cost of living crisis has really transitioned from being one focused around energy uh, to now being one completely about the food price. So um, we saw in the latest ONS data that we're at 45 year highs in terms of food inflation. Um, And this seems to be the result of um, sort of this energy price increase now passing through into the production of other goods. Um, And so I think there's a lot more to come Um, We're predicting at the Resolution Foundation that around um, a thousand pound increase to the annual food bill will be felt by households um, by July. Um, And at that point, food inflation will have overtaken energy inflation as the biggest strain on household budgets. Krishan, we're talking, of course, about how, as you say, how this is affecting people. But the idea from the government is to try and get supermarkets to sign up to a voluntary price cap. Would that help? I think there's there's a possibility of it having some impact. Um, but I think what we can really see in the data is that there isn't much evidence that it's retailers who are to blame uh, for uh, food inflation. So the latest uh, data from the ONS on profitability, for example, uh, showed that profits were pretty flat. Um, For the last financial year, Tesco and Sainsbury's have both reported their operating margins decreasing. So I think what we've seen so far, especially in the food space, um, is that costs are being passed on to consumers. And it's not a result of um, companies attempting to sort of increase their profit margins. So unless there are sort of big changes in the wholesale markets and in the ability for farmers and other food producers to sell at lower prices to um, supermarkets, I think it's unlikely there'll be huge material impacts on the overall level of inflation and food inflation. So what should the government be doing to help the poorest Brits with their grocery bills then, given that food makes up proportionately more of their spending? Yeah, so, so food... Um, makes up around 30% of of all of our, 13% of all of our um, consumption. Um, And the government has put in place policies which are originally intended to help with energy bills, which going forward um, will be really important to low-income households in helping them face uh, the extra costs of food. So um, the increase in the cost of living payments for for low-income households coming in Um, as of April, and the uprating of benefits 10% has been a great help. I think the main thing that um, is lacking in terms of the government's response is um, a recognition of some of the gaps in these policies. So food inflation is going to be particularly impactful for larger families, um, and these families already are struggling, um, and there's nothing um, that the government has really done to solve this problem. The current uh, cost of living payments are sort of just flat amounts that that families are getting irrespective of their size. And so this leaves some big gaps. And this is particularly concerning given that sort of the poverty rate amongst large families is, is much larger um, already going into this. Is this a problem that you see getting 
worse as time goes on. I mean, we're talking about higher interest rates, which don't necessarily affect people unless they're they're paying a mortgage directly. But there's a knock-on effect. Things like rents going up dramatically. No, exactly. Family budgets are sort of being squeezed from from many different directions. Um, there are problems in the rental markets, um, meaning that sort of new rents are seeing as much as 10% um, price increases. Um, and food inflation, as we mentioned, is at 45-year highs. And household bills for energy um, remain very high, even if they're not increasing um, currently. So there, there are lots of things coming together to make um, to make it very difficult for households. And the UK in particular is is struggling um, due to sort of decades of low growth and high inequality, meaning those at the bottom have seen increasing amount of their incomes being eaten up by consumption on essentials. And so unless really the government and the UK as a whole does something to try and push itself out of this low growth, high inequality equilibrium, I think we're, we're going to see um, these problems continue to repeat um, in the forward in going forward um, when new crises emerge. Looking beyond food, what are the key things the Resolution Foundation would like to do on the cost of living just briefly? Um, so thinking thinking beyond food, um, I think at the Resolution Foundation, we have um, quite a big concern about the sort of the level of, of benefits and the way in which um, benefits are being uprated. Um, we, we think that sort of the adequacy um, of the income that they provide for those on low incomes um, is, is something which is, is should be debated and there should be some more thought around whether they're adequately supporting people's living standards. Okay, Christian Shah, thank you very much for being with us. Christian Shah is an economist at the Resolution Foundation. Look, three points of view there on the this proposal by the government not a lot of support for the at least the effect of it, if not the idea. Doesn't seem like it's going to necessarily make much of a difference to those who need it most. And yet Rishi Sunak scrambling to do something to meet his target of halving inflation by year end. Not a lot of optimism about that, especially from Michael Saunders. I'm sure we'll be hearing plenty more about that as well. Well, that is it from us for today. If you like the programme, don't forget to subscribe and give it five stars so other people can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen. Well, this episode was produced by James Wilcock and our audio engineer was Marufal Hussain. I'm Ewan Potts. I'm Lizzie Burden. And I'm Stephen Carroll. We'll be back with more tomorrow. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg UK Politics. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.